Hello and welcome back to Catching Up with Kasha, the show that talks about persuasive texts and how they're persuasive. I'm your host, Aturf Kasha, and today we are going to be discussing an op-ed and its persuasiveness. I will then compare it to the editorials of last week and in the end, conclude by discussing the importance of op-eds to news publications. So be sure to listen all the way through to the end. To start it off, the op-ed or opposing editorial in question today is titled the following. Data undeniably show why the Supreme Court's June medical abortion outcome is good for women. It was written on the 29th of June 2020 by Diana Green Foster and published in the Los Angeles Times. The piece discusses the benefits of a decision that was taken by the Supreme Court regarding, as the title suggests, abortion. Now according to Media Bias Fact Check, the Los Angeles Times has been placed left center on the bias spectrum due to their liberal positions on previous editorials. In terms of content, it is said to be highly factual. Dr. Diana Green Foster, as the text at the end of the op-ed states, is a UC San Francisco professor and director of research at the university's Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health Project. She's also the author of The Turnaway Study, and her opinion is valuable to this as she is a reliable source because she has a PhD in the relevant topic and because she has published a book related to the topic at hand. Onto the analysis, Foster's op-ed lacks pathos, but makes it up with an almost endless supply of logos, supported by adequate ethos, of course. Logos, or logic, is shown through statistics and numerous data from previous studies. Foster cites cases such as June Medical versus Russo and Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. She also cites statistics such as, quote, Abortion performed in a clinic carries a major, major complication rate of less than a quarter of 1%, end quote. And, quote, only 3% of women denied abortions got married in the next two years, and 3% of those who were married at the time of conception got divorced over that time period, end quote. Another one kind of relating to the previous quote was, quote, of those who carried a pregnancy to term and gave birth, only 9% chose to place the child up for adoption, end quote. Foster uses statistics, numbers, 3%, 1%, and 9% to express her data. Foster also expertly uses ethos to complement the aforementioned logos. The cases she cites works as ethos as it appeals to the credibility of the presented logos. More instances of these ethia, yes, that's the plural form, I looked it up, are used to perform uh, used to appear more convincing, like in the quote, quote, the results of 50 scientific papers, end quote, and the re- repeated mention of the, quote, turnaway study at UC San Francisco, end quote. She hyperlinks this study to more information regarding um, the subject. Although I mentioned that this op-ed lacks pathos, there are some instances where it can be found. One such example is in the quote, It forces women to have and raise children under less optimal circumstances than women who receive an abortion and choose to have children in the future. End quote. Diction and specific language are used, such as forces and less optimal, to reach at the reader's emotions. Furthermore, she mentions a story to connect to the reader. Quote, 
As one woman in California who was denied an abortion at age 18 put it, another quote, I wish I had had my daughter when I was older, more stable, more financially set, because it was like raising her and trying to figure me out. But I was raising both of us, myself and her, end quote. This story evokes sadness and pity in the reader, which makes Foster's op-ed even more persuasive. Now for the comparison to the editorials of last week, a very noticeable difference between the editorials and the op-eds is the tone, the way it sounds. The op-ed seemed to be much more informational, complex, and professional as compared to the editorials. My guess as to why this was the case is because Foster's op-ed focused on logos to persuade, which makes it more professional, as opposed to the editorials that attempt to connect to the audience via pathos. While both attempt to persuade, one seems professional as they rely on ethos and logos, and the other, although connecting with the reader, seems more like a speech as they rely on pathos. And although all three pieces are written by professionals, the op-ed seems more high quality as the professional has vast understanding of the concept. On the other hand, the editorials feel more persuasive as it is written by professional writers or editors whose goal is to persuade more than to inform. A good way to summarize the differences would be to say, the content, information, and knowledge power the op-ed instead of the writing technique and rhetorics, which power um, the editorials by the staff writers. To end it off, let us discuss the legitimacy of the author and why a news publication would willingly invite an outside source to write a piece for them. So why her? We briefly touched on this before, but she has a bachelor's, master's, and a doctorate in relevant fields such as reproductive sciences from top universities such as Princeton. And because she is a, certifi a cert certified professor at a reputable research university and has had more exposure to this topic as she has written and published an entire book on the subject. Now that we confirmed her legitimacy, further given credit by the last paragra paragraph of the op-ed, why would newspapers want this? Well, there are several reasons. I feel like newspapers would do this to boost their credibility through a professional agreeing with their work. Maybe also to publicize independent authors and professionals. To also provide additional information on the topic that was not stated in past editorials or articles. And it also helps promote diversity and changes in bias and, and opinions to appeal to people with different viewpoints. Finally, I also think that op-eds keep newspaper news publication writers and editors in line, ensuring the production of high-quality work so that professionals address the editorials positively and in turn raise the news publication writers and editors' ethos and credibility. That being said, we have covered everything for today's podcast. Next week, we'll continue to analyze other persuasive texts, so make sure to tune in then. Thank you for listening and see you soon.